today. I'm excited about this mini-series, two weeks that we're going to hit, um, being thankful. Come on, say that with me, thankful. Let's say it again. Come on, thankful. Turn to the person next to you and just say, come on, you got to be thankful. Just tell them. you got to become more thankful for what you've got and what God has done in your life. I read a blog post this week of all places, too. This is the kicker. Of all places, it was on Forbes.com. This blog post says this, the research is clear, gratitude is a superpower. I don't expect that to come from Forbes, but anyway, gratitude is a superpower. Thankful people enjoy benefits such as improved physical and emotional health, better relationships, higher self-esteem, and longer lifespans. Now listen, if Forbes.com is saying that about gratitude, about thankfulness, then it's got to be right, right? I mean, because if it went all the way down to Forbes, then there's a lot of other researchers that have already come to this conclusion. And if you Google thankfulness or attitude of gratitude, those kinds of things, there is so much out there about the benefits of being grateful, of having gratitude, the attitude of gratitude in your life, in your mind, in your heart. And yet, despite all of the benefits that we know comes with gratitude, all too often, we treat gratitude like a holiday ornament, like, like we pull it out once a year. Oh, we got to be thankful. It's the month of thankfulness, right? And we pull it out, and then we get past Thanksgiving, if we get past Thanksgiving, but we get past Thanksgiving, and what do we do? We put it back, tuck it away. We'll get it out next year when the turkey comes out again, Right? I mean, for some of us, sadly, for some of us, the only time we think about being thankful is when we're gathered around a Thanksgiving table and, oh no, somebody, the host, says, we're going to go around the table and share something we're thankful for. And it dawns on us, man, I haven't done this all year. Hmm. We're like a lot of people. Sadly, it's true. And when we do this, we miss out on so much. We really do. I, I've learned some things in my years now, and I have experienced some things that have taught me about thankfulness. And so I just wanted to give you a couple of things, what being thankful does in my life. You may want to fill these in. It's some fill in the blanks on your outline. I'd love for you to follow along this way. Being thankful first improves my relationships. It really does. Everyone has a need to be acknowledged and a desire to be appreciated. Think about that for just a minute. Everyone has a need to be acknowledged and a desire to be appreciated. And I'm going to emphasize everyone. Everyone has this need to be acknowledged and a desire to be appreciated. So when you're at a grocery store, like I was this morning, and you walk by someone, listen, People want to be acknowledged. Now, they may, you may you know, think, oh, no, no, I'm, just, I'm not going to get in their business. They're doing their thing, and it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. So, so I, I could you know, stay all day on this one. We need to be more pe- the people that are more likely to acknowledge others around us. But why is it that, that you have to be in business and you have to work at a place like Walmart to have the 10-foot rule? Do you, you guys know about this rule? That if anyone gets within 10 feet of you in that circle, you're acknowledging them. You are saying something to them. 
Now, I don't think that all employees work that way at Walmart, but there are some. But I have been in other businesses that operate that way. Why is it that it's only a business that does that, that acknowledges people and and talks to people? Why isn't it that we as Jesus followers aren't that way? Hmm, just, Just a thought. Anyway, let's move on. I mean, everybody wants to be appreciated. Everybody wants to be acknowledged. Your, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends, your coworkers, even strangers want this. So when we express thanks to people, um, we not only meet their need, we improve the quality of a relationship with them. It changes things. Second thing, being thankful creates contentment in me. We're told to, to buy more, to you know, be more, to do more, to go more. It it can be hard to appreciate, in our culture, it can be hard to appreciate where you are, you know, who you are, what you have, but by choosing to be thankful, we ignore these messages that our culture sends. And we rehearse in our minds and in our hearts all that God has done in our lives. And it helps us to push back on consumerism and narcissism and materialism and all of the isms that are out there. It it helps us to push back on those things and to find a place where we are content with who we are and what we have and and where we are in life. Um, Rachel Cruz, if you don't know Dave Ramsey's daughter, Rachel Cruz, she writes this, in a heart filled with gratitude, there is no room for discontentment. Mm, That's good. Next one. Being thankful reduces my stress. How many of you want stress reduced in your life? I do. Being thankful reduces my stress. More and more research is showing this. Again, you can Google this and you can find all kinds of stuff. This is one that really grabbed me. University of California Davis psychology professor Robert Emmons says this. Research suggests that feelings of thankfulness have tremendous positive value in helping people cope with daily problems, especially stress. Being thankful produces a better outlook on life. And for some of us, including myself, we need a better outlook. We need a better perspective on life. I mean, sometimes because of the way situations are or relationships are or just pressures of everyday grind, sometimes I have a bad attitude. I have a bad outlook. Anybody else like me in that? where it's just, it's just affected. My attitude, my outlook in life is not, I cannot say that it's positive. I mean, it's not fully negative, but it's not positive. And, and so it's like that being thankful helps me to, to have a better outlook in the, in the face of endless issues and crisis and annoyances, all of these things that can bring us down. When I choose to be thankful, it helps to redirect my thoughts to see good in situations and in people. It changes me. Being thankful next, being thankful causes people to like me more. And it will help you for people to like you more. I mean, I mean, how many of us enjoy ungrateful people? None of us do. How many of us enjoy people who think they're entitled to everything? None of us do. We don't like that. All of us enjoy Thankful, grateful, down-to-earth people, when you are grateful, people see in you something that they want in their life. People want to be around you when you're thankful. Lastly, beyond the physical, beyond the emotional, relational benefits, this one's good. Being thankful opens my life up to all Jesus wants to do in me. 
This is big. There's something about this attitude of gratitude, this, this being thankful, that opens us up spiritually, opens us up to all that Jesus wants to do in our lives. When we choose to be thankful, we are more of who Jesus wants us to be. And when we're more of who Jesus wants us to be, he will do more in our lives. Plus, we connect with Jesus on a deeper level when we are thankful, and you'll see that in just a minute. We see it in Luke 17, one of my favorite stories in the book of Luke. The writer says this, he's giving his account of what took place. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy, how many? 10. 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out. Now they were at a distance because they were lepers. And this is something that we don't really understand because we live in a culture that leprosy is really not a part of our, of our culture. But lepers in their culture were to be avoided. This disease caused them to be outcasts. Leprosy, if you don't know, medically, it, leprosy is caused by a bacteria, bacterium, that attacks the nerves and the skin. And it anesthetizes the body and the limbs so that feeling is lost. Now, what it, what it does is it starts with a white or pink patch of skin that begins to spread all over the body in all directions, and tumorous swellings begin to grow on the face, and then they grow on the rest of the body as the disease becomes systemic within you. What happens is fingers and toes can be absorbed in the body. Because of the bacteria invading bone marrow, it causes the body to shrivel. Eyesight is often lost. Teeth fall out. Skin loses its color. It becomes thick and glossy and scaly. Sores and ulcers appear all over your body. Your eyebrows, your eyelashes fall out. And you smell terribly as your body emits a very unpleasant odor from open sores. Dr. Paul Brand, I've, I've read a, a lot of things that he has written. Dr. Paul Brand was a, um, a modern world-renowned expert on leprosy. He actually lived in leper colonies in India and other places. And he gives us some insight into this terrible disease. Brand found that most victims destroyed their own bodies. That it wasn't the disease that destroyed their bodies, it was them destroying their own bodies because they had no feeling. Have you ever had your arm to go numb or your hand to go numb or where you just kind of lose that? If you can imagine your limbs go numb, your fingertips go numb. Dr. Brand recorded people who would reach directly into a charcoal fire to re recover, retrieve a potato that had fallen in. And they didn't even know it was burning them. Dr. Brand, um, because of their sense of pain, Brand noticed that people would work all day with a shovel or some piece of equipment, a tool that had a, a protruding nail or a, a splinter sticking out that was sticking in their hand. And I don't mean to be gross, but they would be bleeding all over the handle of this tool, not even knowing that it was sticking into their hand. Um, he, he recorded people uh, extinguishing the burning wicks on candles with their fingers. He, 
He, he recorded people walking on glass without knowing. Um, th- there's no warning signs. There's no warning system that alerts them. If, if you turn an ankle and you sprain an ankle, the, the person just adjusts and they begin to walk crooked. They, they don't even realize, if, this is really gross, if a rat chews off a finger in the middle of the night, you don't discover it until the next morning. Um, that's how it works. And the disease would go on like this for 20 or 30 years in a person's life until it consumes them. And to be honest, it, it's not so much the disease that consumes them, it's their low resistance to infection that usually kills them. And even though there are still cases in underdeveloped nations today, since 1982, there has, a, there has been effective treatment against leprosy. So we're, we're not common with this disease. It's known as Hansen's disease today. But it's been said that leprosy was the AIDS of the biblical world. It, it was such a communicable disease that God gave such careful guidelines for determining whether someone had leprosy or not. And he gave them in Leviticus 13 and 14. And since the Jewish priests were responsible to know the law of God, and the priests were responsible to help the people apply the law of God, and because this was laid out in the law of God, now you begin to see that the local health inspectors were the priests. And if it was discovered that you had leprosy, you were immediately removed from all social contact, and the only people you could ever hang out with were other lepers. It was that contagious. Easily transmitted by breathing, by physical touch, or get this, even contact with clothing or furniture. Wow. So God gives these quarantine rules. I mean, you know, this is like Center for Disease Control guidelines. I mean, this is, this is so clear on quarantine. Look at what Leviticus 13 says. Anyone with a defiling disease must, must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. Get this part, this part right here. They must live What? alone. They must live outside the camp, the city. So if you have been diagnosed with leprosy, you could never again come close to the people that you needed most, your family, your friends, the ones you needed to help you. You could never come close to God in worship because lepers were not allowed in synagogue or in the temple. You could never have a job You could never shop in the marketplace. You could never associate with other people in any social environment. You were a total outcast from all of life as you knew it. You could only be with other lepers outside the city. The most miserable people of all. Cursed, feeling cursed by God and man. So think. No family, no job, no friends, no worship, no hope. It's no wonder that when Jesus came into their village, 
these 10 lepers cried out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Of all the words they could have used, they choose this word, Master. I mean, think about this for just a minute. It was a word that carries weight. It bestows honor. It speaks of someone who has authority or power. They knew of Jesus' reputation. They knew what Jesus could do. They've heard of the healings and the miracles that he has done. But they didn't just recognize Jesus' power. What do they ask for? They ask for his mercy. Huh. They knew how bad off they were. They knew they could do nothing. They knew they needed help. They, they were desperate. But they knew that they didn't deserve anything that Jesus would do for them. And so they say, Master, have mercy on us. See, there's something that I know, and maybe you've learned this too, but there's something that I have learned. <laughs> Desperate people will always be heard by Jesus. Desperate people will always be heard when we call out to him. They knew that Jesus was their only source, their only hope. And what does Jesus do? In compassion and in power. Look what he says in verse 14. Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at that and I, and I think, those are some strange words. I mean, why didn't Jesus say, be healed? Or, you can be healed. Or, like he asked one guy, what do you want me to do for you? Do you want to be healed? But no, he says, go to all ten. Go and show yourself to the priests. Now, like I said earlier, the priests were the health inspectors. So, <laughs> Chances are these guys have already seen the priests probably years ago when they first got diagnosed. And Jesus is saying, now what I want you to do is I want you to go back to the priest. So, so let's just put yourself in the leper's shoes for just a minute. I mean, as a leper, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to go to the priest. I mean, you wouldn't want to go to the priest to be checked because Why? You, you were a leper. You had leprosy. You, I mean, you could look down at your body. You can see it. You, I mean, unless you were clean, of course, you wouldn't, why would you want to waste his time? Why would you want to waste your time? You wouldn't go to the, the priest on a whim. You, you could get in trouble for that. I mean, Levitic, Levitical law and, and other laws, Jewish laws. I mean, you, you could get into some severe, severe trouble if you still had leprosy and you went to the temple or the synagogue, plus proving yourself to be clean, if you don't know, and in Leviticus it talks about this eight-day protocol. And so you would go through a series of sacrifices. If, if you were diagnosed as, as clean, you would go through this series of sacrifices. You would shave all the hair off of your body twice. You would have to take a bath twice. So it involved a lot of working parts. So you wouldn't go on a, on a whim. But Jesus was saying, I want you to go to the priest. Listen, I want you to go get checked before you're clean. Go get checked by the priest. But, but we're lepers. I know. Go get checked 
by the priest in faith. This isn't even on my notes, so please don't try to follow me on this, Aaron. Some of us are asking God to do something in our life, and God is saying, I want you to take these steps. And you're saying, but nothing's changed. And God's saying, I know, I want you to take these steps. But it's still the same. I know, I want you to take these steps. That's what's going on here. Taking a step of faith. Believing you will get clean by the time you get to the priest. Now, come on. If we're lepers and we've been this way for 20 years or whatever, wouldn't that take a lot of faith? I mean, if life has been this way all of this time, wouldn't it take a lot of faith for you to believe that things could change even though they're the same right now? The next verse stuns me. It, it really does. Verse 14, I love this verse. And as they went, went where? Toward the priest. They were going to the priest. They were doing what Jesus said. And as they went, they were cleansed. <laughs> now think about this for a minute. No bells, no whistles, no light shows, no oohs and ahs from the crowd. Oh, look at what happened. No, 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 no. No fanfare. They just start walking. They were told, Jesus said, go to the priest, go show yourself to the priest. And they didn't even question. As they went, in the course of doing what Jesus told them to do, listen to that, somebody. In the course of doing what Jesus is telling you to do, things will change. It happened. They believed because they were desperate, and Jesus did what only Jesus can do as they went, as they obeyed. They were healed. Were they healed because they believed? No. They were healed because they did what Jesus told them to do. Healed not because they believed, but because they obeyed. A miracle happened because of their obedience. And I'm convinced that miracles happen when we do what Jesus says. Friends, if you're looking for a miracle, if you're praying for a miracle, you need to do what Jesus says. Your miracle will happen. It will come. But you need to do what Jesus is telling you to do. This was an amazing miracle. I mean, think about it. The simultaneous instant healing of 10 men that had leprosy. I mean, Jesus would heal one and one and one and all that. And we know he fed the 5,000 and all that kind. We know that. But this is 10 men simultaneously, at the same time, instantly healed from this disease. 
demonstration of power that is so undeniable, so unmistakable. No one can deny the miracle power of Jesus. And where does he send them? He sends them to the Jewish leaders to tell them, Jesus healed me. How did this happen? Jesus healed me. What about you? Jesus healed me. What about you? Jesus healed me. What about you? Jesus, number nine. What about you? Jesus healed Wait. Jesus healed all of you? Yeah, at the same time. We were all healed at the same time. Wow. No denying this. What miracle are you asking for? What miracle have you been waiting for? Maybe the delay is because you're not doing what Jesus has told you to do. And it hasn't come. Believe what Jesus says and do what Jesus says. It's a topic for another day. As they went, they were healed. And here's where it gets good. But one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! I mean, he, he was shouting in a loud voice, praise God. Wouldn't you be excited? As you went, as you're going with the group, and they're all talking about, we still got it. Yeah, I'm still, yeah, I still got it. Yeah, yeah, I still got it. Wait a minute. Where, where, where did, where'd it go? And one of the 10 comes back, and with a loud voice, he shouts praises to God. He saw the miracle in his body. It stopped him in his tracks. He realized that everything had just changed in his life. But even more than that, he realized that he was in the presence of God because he's giving a praise to God. He's saying, Jesus, I don't know about everybody else, but I know that only God can do this. And I believe that you are God. And so I give praise. Not more, normally my worship, my praise would go to Jehovah God, but I'm giving that same praise right now to you, Jesus, because of what you have just done in my life full of joy, full of amazement, full of wonder, with a loud voice declaring who has done what he has experienced. And he realizes this, and what does he do? He falls to the ground at Jesus' feet, and look at what he does, thanking him for what he had done. Posture of worship with a thankful heart. The presence of God. He can't contain what he's feeling. He can go back to his family now. He can go back to his life now, his friends. And notice what the writer Luke adds, and this is so important. Don't miss this part. We read right past this because we don't really understand it. Verse 16, this man was a what? Samaritan. Hmm. Now, the writer highlights this because Jews hated Samaritans. This was an ethnic issue. I mean, it... Samaritans were, were called half-breeds by the Jews because they had intermarried with Gentiles, plus they had left the religious roots that the Jews held dear. They, they, they corrupted their worship with this hybrid kind of religion. And, and, and from a Jewish standpoint, Samaritans were unclean. So if you were a Samaritan leper, you were unclean, unclean. I mean... This guy had everything going against him. Jews had no relationships with Samaritans. They hated 
Samaritans. The only reason this leper was with Jews at all is because they were all lepers and it didn't matter at that point. They were all going to die together. Otherwise, Samaritans and Jews were never together. No one expected, ever expected God to reach out to a Samaritan. And yet during his earthly ministry, who did he reach out to more than anybody else? Was the Samaritans. Ironically, Who did Jesus reveal for the first time ever? Who did he reveal his Messiahship to? It was a Samaritan woman at a well in John 4. Wow. Many of the Samaritans then believed in that village in John 4, it says. Something I know, Jesus is not a racist. Did you hear me? That's, man, that is so culturally relevant right now. Jesus is a redeemer for all. He heals and saves people of all colors and all backgrounds and all tribes and all nations. And this one man realized that he had been shown mercy. And so he comes back to Jesus. And while the others sought nothing more from Jesus... Jesus asks a question that pushes on me, and it should push on you today. Jesus says, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? The nine don't have any interest in Jesus anymore. They got what they wanted. They got that mercy, they got that healing. They they have no desire to worship or thank him. They don't give him worship because they only give God worship. So they don't see him, Jesus, as God. So they're not gonna glorify him as God, of course. But this one guy, a Samaritan, nonetheless comes back to Jesus because he wants to worship and thank God. He realizes that God is right there. God in the flesh is standing in front of him. And I wonder if Jesus asks this question of some of us where are those who are thankful for what I have done for them friends I hope you are not in the other nine that was the question that was rolling around in my head this week is Bart are you in the other nine or are you like the one Is Jesus asking you, asking me, asking us as a church, where are those who are thankful for what I have done for them? Where are they, Jesus says. I've done done so much. I just changed their life. Why didn't they come back to worship me? Why didn't they come back to thank me? Why didn't they come back? Where are they? I wonder how many of us do exactly what the Apostle Paul writes in, in Romans one twenty one. They knew God, but they did not give glory to God or thank him. So Jesus continues in our text in Luke 17. Jesus asked, has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? This non-Jew. Now this is a really interesting play on words and you wouldn't necessarily know this, but 
This is a really interesting piece of history that just comes out here. This word foreigner is a very strong word. Jesus is using a very strong word here. It's common to the Jews. It's a word that was written, get this, it's a word that was written on the outer wall of the temple courts forbidding any foreigner access to certain parts of the temple. And this guy is a foreigner. This guy is a Samaritan. He is outside the promises of God, outside the people of God, outside supposedly the reach of God. And even though he can't go into the inner court of the temple, he walks right up face to face with God in flesh. He couldn't go near the holy place, but on his face, he is before the Holy One of Israel, worshiping and thanking him. If you ever feel like you don't deserve what God has done, you are like him. Brings us face to face with an attitude that we have so, so much. As we go to Jesus for something and he gives us what we ask for, but then in the process we have no awareness of his amazing grace in our lives. That he would take my place, your place, on the cross. And this guy, he knew it, and he worshiped, and he thanked. No priest, no temple, just worship with a thankful heart. And Jesus says to this guy, stand up and go. Where's he sending him? He's sending him to the priest. You haven't went to the priest yet. Stand up. Go to the priest. You're clean. Go to your life. And then look at these next five words. Your faith. Wait, what faith? Well, they first had faith because they knew that the master could show them mercy. But this faith is more than that. This faith is a faith of someone who knows who Jesus is. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God because he's worshiping him as God. And they wouldn't do that in that day. And he's worshiping, he's falling at the feet of Jesus. He is giving him honor like he believes that Jesus is God. And Jesus is saying, that faith, your faith, has healed you. Wait, they already were healed. I mean, all ten of them were healed, right? I mean, it, Ten lepers had leprosy and then they went away and they went walking and they were healed, right? So what is Jesus saying? Your faith has healed you. Actually, there's three different words that are used for healing in this text in Luke 17. And I won't go into all of the etymology of this with the, with the Greek and stuff, but it's pretty cool. In Luke 17 and actually verse um, 14 and 15, two different Greek words are used which point to cleansing and, and healing. But the word that Jesus uses right here in verse 19 is a completely different word. It's a unique word. It's, it's a word that Jesus used several times, but it's all all you throughout the New Testament, it's the word sozo. And sozo is an amazing word. It means made whole. And specifically, it means being made whole spiritually. It could be interchanged with the word 
saved, which it is a lot in Scripture. So, I mean, basically Jesus is saying your faith has healed you. He's saying your faith has saved you. He got more than what he came for. Do you see this? Huh. I mean, this word is used all throughout the New Testament for salvation, for saved. There's a lot of people who pursue what Jesus can do for them, but Jesus' desire isn't just to bless and heal you. Jesus wants to save you. He wants to save you. So in Luke 7, verse 50, Jesus forgives the sins of a woman, and you know what he says to her? Your faith has saved you, sozo. Same word, sozo. Paul uses this. In Romans 10, 9, probably a passage that you know really well. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Sozo, same word, made whole. In, in Romans 10, 13, Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sozo, made whole. That's what Jesus is saying to this, this guy who came back, this former leper He's saying, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you whole, sozo. Your faith has done this. The big picture. Oh, man, the big picture's here. All 10 lepers heard the same words from Jesus. All 10 lepers experienced the same healing power from Jesus, but only one man fell at Jesus' feet in worship and in thanks. Only one man was saved and experienced all that Jesus wanted to do in his life. Because listen, friends, Jesus doesn't just want to heal you. He doesn't just want to bless you. He wants to save you. He wants to make you whole. So-so. Ten lepers were physically whole. Only one was spiritually whole. So Jesus offers way more than just physical healing. Jesus said to the man, your faith has healed you. And this man's worship and his gratitude are all components of that faith that causes Jesus to save him. Don't miss this. It's a faith that Jesus says saves you. Your faith has saved you. Huh. And so here we, we see it, right? I mean, what I said earlier, being thankful opens my life up to all that Jesus wants to do in me. Because he was thankful and he returned with a thankful heart in worship, this man went away completely changed. And I don't know about you. I mean, I read into stories like this, I know, and, I, and I, my mind just runs. But I look forward to the day, because I love this story, I look forward to the day when I'm in heaven. And I don't know if this will really happen, but I hope it will where I come across a guy who used to have leprosy. And he tells me about the day that Jesus saved him. And see, that's the thing that he can do for you and me. He can change our life in this way, not just physically, not just giving us blessings. He's not a cornucopia God. He's a God who wants to save you and make you completely whole. 
Being thankful opens my life up to all that Jesus wants to do in me. Now, here's the kicker, though, as we get out of here today. Here's the kicker that we often fail to realize. Being thankful is something that's available to all of us. Think about that for a minute. All 10 lepers had the opportunity to be thankful, and they could have returned in worship as a group. And they could have had a worship conference right there with Jesus and all of his followers. And, and pull out the guitars and the drums and just had an awesome worship experience. But only one guy came back. He made a choice. And that's the other thing that I'm beginning to realize. <laughs> it's in my control because being thankful is a choice that I make. I want you to get that down. Being thankful is a choice I make. I choose. You choose to be thankful and to experience all that Jesus wants to do in your life and in my life. I choose to be thankful. Even more though, even better than that, being thankful always brings me back to Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but when I start going through all that God has done for me, all that Jesus has done up to this point in my life and what I believe he wants to continue to do in my life. It's in that thankfulness that I am drawn back to him in worship. And it's like I, I can't discount, I can't deny, I can't neglect, I can't ignore all that you have done for me. I hope this year, if you don't have that, if, if you would say, Bart, I'm not that thankful. I hope that you make a choice to come back to Jesus and to let him know how thankful you are for all that he has done, if anything, for the fact that he has saved you. Would you bow your heads with me?